Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Hey there. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today and welcome to our third base position preview. Frank Sample joined as always by Scott White and Chris Towers. Apologies in advance. I am a little banged up dealing with some health and safety protocols as the NBA would say. So expect a lot of heavy lifting from these two gentlemen besides me. Well, they're not like virtually beside me, of course. Not only is today our third base preview, but pitchers and catchers reported and the updates are coming in hot and heavy. We'll hit on some of those in our bonus mailbag podcast later this week. Anyway, Scott is here and the player he loves is a third baseman, Cabrian Hayes. We spoke about that on Valentine's Day. So does that mean you love this position as well, Scott? No, I wouldn't say I love this position. It's it's kind of a befuddling position because at this time last year, I was calling it the deepest position I've ever seen. And, you know, I meant it. I, I think it was a fair assessment. I did this little exercise in my third base strategy guide where I, I showed that you could put together a strong fantasy lineup with third base eligible players everywhere except catcher. Uh, and then it turned out Isaiah Kiner Falefa ended up being an everyday third baseman. So it turns out you could actually do that with, even at catcher. That was um, last year that you did that. Yeah, last year that I did that. Not but this year. <laughs> it was the position that got hit the hardest by the small sample season. Just so many underachievers at every level of the position. The high-end guys, the middle-end guys. Um, so many players just fell short of expectations that now there are a lot of question marks going into 2021. And my assumption for basically all of those players is uh, okay, throw out 2020 small sample. There, there isn't there isn't enough there to scare me away from them long term. But that's not going to be true for all of them. It's just not. And so you know, how do you pick? How do you pick precisely which one you want? Do you hedge your bet and take two? Uh, do you wait and take one of the up and comers at the position like Cabrian Hayes or Alec Bohm? Uh, or do you make sure to have them back up whatever high-end guy you take just in case that high-end guy doesn't doesn't uh, bounce back from a down season? I don't know. That's that's Those are the kinds of questions I'm asking here. I'm, I don't know r- really when to dive into third base, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think it's a pretty weird position as well, and I know I've asked this for other positions. I'll throw this one your way, Chris, but uh, do you go out of your way to get an elite third baseman? Because while there are some... Solid mid-round options. Scott mentioned a few names. Alec Bohm, Cabrian Hayes. They do have some upside, of course. Uh, I think getting one of the top six at this position gives you a very clear advantage. So is that something you'd be looking to do? Um, Yes, but it's mostly one player. And mm. it's Jose Ramirez. Uh, I, so I, I hope nobody who's listening to the FSGA... Uh, who's listening, who is going to be in the FSGA draft next week is listening because um, I we did like, I think it's the Kentucky fried draft thing or whatever, where you like pick your draft slot in a draft, right? Is that what it's called? Kentucky right? Derby. Kentucky fried derby. And um, I, I think had, I only learned that term last year, but I had like the like 12th pick, I think. And it was like seven, 10 and four, 13 or something were, were available. And I thought, well, Jose Ramirez is my seventh ranked player. But he might be there at 10. So I took 10 instead of seven. It's risky. But I'm really hoping Jose Ramirez is there because I am all over Jose Ramirez this year. And if I get a pick in the second half of the first round, there's a decent chance Jose Ramirez is going to be my pick uh, if he's there. Uh, If not, I think I probably, it sounds like I like this position more than you guys do. 
I have 13 players in my top 100. I, I think there's a drop off after that. After that, it gets a little more speculative, but I feel pretty good about anyone in my top 13. And for me, that goes down to Matt Chapman and Max Muncie uh, in the 90 range. I think Chris Bryant is due for a big bounce back season. I think people are writing him off way too quickly. I think Eugenio Suarez is going to have a really nice bounce back season. I think Yohan Moncada. Um, so I, I don't have a particular strategy beyond get Jose Ramirez. I feel pretty confident I'm going to have a third baseman I like uh, no matter where I take it. Speaking of uh, Kentucky Fried Derby Chicken, uh, Chris Bryant, you mentioned there. Mm-hmm. I think he's done. I think he's cooked. So we could talk about that a little bit later on. Chris, yeah, we're only five minutes in, so why don't I, I why don't I just derail this podcast already? But aren't Let's do it. aren't we sharing this FSGA draft together? You hit me up earlier today. Yeah, yeah. I, I asked you about that after all that <laughs> stuff. I good, just I, good I, to I know. figured at the end, like well, let me see if Frank wants to do it. Scott, I'm sorry. I didn't, but you got enough high profile things. I figured you, you've you got enough. And frankly, Please. I just, I don't think you would want to share a team with me. You, you spared me the trouble of rejecting you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> high and mighty Scott you White. Can't, you can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> um, but Chris, I'm just letting you know that if we get the 10th pick or if we already have the 10th pick and one of the top three starting pitchers are there, we're gonna have I, to, yeah, that's going to be a discussion. We're going to have to duke it out. But, but I have Ramirez higher than all of them except Jacob deGrom. And technically, I have the login. So <laughs> that matters. That definitely you matters. <laughs> all right. So we're going to hit everything on third base today. ADP, sleepers, breakouts, bust, prospects, our favorite third baseman to draft, and everything in between. Let's start off with ADP and the man at the top. Like the band, Godsmack, Jose Ramirez, stands alone. He has oh, an. Oh, that's where you're going. With that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jose Ramirez has an ADP of 10.8. Uh, he is the only third baseman being drafted in the first round, according to Fantasy Pros. We all remember that uh, Ramirez went through a terrible 132 game stretch from 2018 to 2019, where he hit 212 with a 672 OPS. That's nearly a full calendar baseball season, where he was a sub 700 OPS bat. But I think that's behind us. I'm really not worried about it anymore. Uh, He's been a top five player overall in Roto in two of the past three seasons. He's averaged over four fantasy points per game in two of the past three seasons as well. So Scott, are you fully back in? You trust Jose Ramirez. How would you rank him, Christian Yelich, and uh, Trevor Story? Because it seems like that's maybe one of the first decision points you have to make towards the back end of the first round. Yeah, I go Story, Yelich, Ramirez, but that's not that's not a slight on Ramirez. It sounds like Chris is a little higher on him relative to those other two. I, I don't really have any concerns about Ramirez, though. Uh, part of the issue there is because I think I think some of the underachieving high-end third baseman from last year, some of the underachieving studs at the position can be had at a discount when I don't really see that with Ramirez. And, you know, I, I'm expecting Story and Yelich to steal a fair amount of bases like Ramirez does too. So it's not like he has a clear advantage over them in that scarce category. But, I mean, just uh, assessing Jose Ramirez independent of anybody else, clearly a first-round player. You mentioned what he's done top five, two of the past three years. I'm sure he's been first-round caliber three of the past four. It was just the year that was most afflicted by that strange 132-game stretch. That was really... So, so it was like the, the it was all star stretch all-star I've ever break. seen for a player's career. Like he just went, he just disappeared for and, a full calendar year, basically. And the weird thing was, you don't usually hear players, or frankly, their agents talk about what went wrong in a situation like that. But Jose Ramirez's agent actually came out shortly after the 2019 All Star break and basically said, "Look, he was trying to beat the swing or beat the shift, the shift, yeah." And he kept changing his swing to try to beat the shift. And it's kind of like Cody Bellinger changing his batting stance last year. Like, why? What are you doing? <laughs> you clearly don't need to fix anything. Um, but the the quickness with which he turned that around, uh, what he's hitting since the 2019 All-Star break, I think it's like 110 games or something. Uh, 307, 377 on base, 664 slug. His 162-game pace in that span. 52 homers, 118 runs, 149 RBI, and 25 stolen bases. I have 
zero concerns about uh, Jose Ramirez. He is, um, I think I have him as a $42 player, which is a dollar behind Juan Soto, Mike Trout, and Fernando Tatis, who are third through fifth for me. And Ramirez is great in points leagues as well because yeah. he does not strike out. He makes a lot of contact. He walks quite a bit as well, a 12% walk rate in 2020. And Chris, just to put the people at ease, because some have brought up the concern of Jose Ramirez's surroundings in his lineup. They did add Eddie Rosario in the offseason. They still have Fran Mel Reyes, maybe some help on the way. Prospect Nolan Jones as well. But um, you brought this stat up maybe a month ago but it was something like 90% of a player's production comes from that player himself and doesn't really have much to do with his his lineup context. So remind the good people. Yeah, so this was a, a piece that Alex Chamberlain, a really fantastic uh, fantasy writer, wrote for CBSSports.com before the 2018 season. I think it was when Manny Machado went to the Padres. And there was a lot of concern about the lineup context for him. What he found was that if you separate a player's the production that he controls. So walks, hits, singles, doubles, home runs, triples, et cetera. And you know what order they're, the, what spot in the lineup they're going to be batting in. Uh, that explains something like 85 to 95% of their runs and RBI production historically. Obviously, there's fluctuation from any given year, but that's true of those numbers anyway. But a player has most of the control over those things. Now that 5%, 5 to 10% can matter. You know, you could be talking about the difference between 100 RBI and 90 RBI for Jose Ramirez or 105 runs and 95 runs, which is not nothing. But if you think Jose Ramirez is going to be the guy he's been over the last, you know, four seasons really when he's, I think it's like 285 with a 939 OPS in three of the four seasons. If you think he's going to be that guy, you should expect pretty much elite run and RBI numbers. So that's Jose Ramirez. He's very good. You didn't really need us to tell you that. But if you needed the reassurance, he is definitely worth a uh, late first round pick, regardless of your league format. The only third baseman going in the second round of drafts is Manny Machado with an ADP of 20.3. The problem here is you're buying him off of a career year which sounds weird because he's had a lot of really good years, but it was actually the career, uh, his career best OPS last season uh, where he played all 60 games. So it helped uh, that actually helped drive up his, uh, his finish in Roto. He finishes a top 10 player. He averaged four fantasy points per game on the nose. That was tied for 10th best among hitters. And Scott, I know that you will argue that Machado deserves to be in the same tier as Anthony Rendon and Alex Bregman. So that's why you might fade him. But I, mm -hmm. I think in Roto, at least, he deserves to be in a tier of his own because I do think that he can give us somewhere like 10 to 15 steals. And I don't know that we could say that about either of Bregman or Rendon. So what would you say to that? Yeah, he could. But he's been very unreliable with the stolen bases over the years. Manny Machado has. Um, so other than that very short 2020 season, less reliable as a hitter as well. I, I just, I just rather have the higher impact bat, which I think is going to be Bregman, which I think could well be Rendon as well. And especially if it allows me to grab a second, really high end ace starting pitcher in round two. Um, I think maybe hypothetically Machado has an advantage over those two, but in reality, I, I can't, predict that with any accuracy that he's going to be better than Bregman or Rendon, which is how tears work. I know there's been a lot of volatility for Machado the past three or four seasons, especially with the batting average, but what he did last year, I mean, the player that he's been, I, I would expect like a 275 plus batting average, 35 plus homers, 200 plus runs plus RBI, just based on the, the lineup context. I think he, I think he's going to give you 10 to 15 steals. Jace Tingler is the manager for the Padres. He's, he came over last year from the Rangers, and they ran a lot. So I, I think that's going to uh, remain the case here in 2021. Chris, I know that you weren't on Machado last year. Are you going to go back? Are you going to go towards him this year in the second round? Yeah, I took a pretty big L on that one, and I, I feel kind of stupid about it because it's Manny Machado. It's one of those situations where it's like you should just bet on the elite, the elite talent. And I, I have him 18th overall. Um, so yeah, I I am pretty much fully bought in. I, I don't think he's going to hit as well as he did last year, but 
uh, 30-plus home runs and a ton of runs in RBI with a batting average that should be helpful at least. Um, you know, I, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, Machado hit 304 last year. I don't know that anyone's expecting that, but 275 to 280, I think, is uh, probably a fair projection for one Manny Machado. DJ LeMahieu has an ADP of 26.3. Of course, he has first base, second base, and third base eligibility. We spoke about LeMahieu a ton on our second base previews, so you can go back and listen to that, and I think that's probably where you want to use him anyway when it comes to uh, fantasy baseball this season. But then we see four very strong options going in rounds three and four. Anthony Rendon at ADP 35.8. Alex Bregman at 36.5. Rafi Devers, Rafael Devers, at 42.3. And notice I didn't mention Nolan Arenado. That's because his ADP on Fantasy Pros is 27.5. But that includes drafts from before he was traded from the Colorado Rockies. Now, of course, he's with the St. Louis Cardinals. I looked at his NFBC ADP. That's the National Fantasy Baseball Championship for the month of February, so we have about 17 days worth of data. His ADP during that time is 39.8, so just behind Bregman, just ahead of Devers, which seems like a fair spot for him to be in. Uh, Chris, I think it hasn't fallen enough. Interesting. Uh, all right, so actually, let's start there. T- tell me your thoughts on uh, Arenado, because I believe we did the breaking news podcast and I think it was just me and Scott. So I don't know that we ever got your thoughts on uh, Arenado now that he's with the Cardinals. So what do you think, Chris? I think he's still going to be very good, um, but I have him closer. Like, I think he's still going to hit 30 plus home runs. I think he's going to get a bunch of runs in RBI. I think he might be more like a 265, 270 hitter. And I'm not sure there's really a gap between him and Eugenio Suarez anymore. In fact, Eugenio Suarez might be a better bet for power than Nolan Arenado. Um, I don't... If you're worried that Nolan Arenado is just going to like turn in... I think his OPS on, on the road for his career is like sub-800. He's not going to be that. He's still going to be very good. 793, um, Chris. Yeah. he'll. I think he'll be a solid like 840 to 860 OPS bat. He'll still be very good. And you know, hitting behind Paul Goldschmidt, presumably, there should be a lot of RBI opportunities. Um, I just think he's going to be a lot like Eugenio Suarez, who I think is probably one of the more undervalued players this year. I have him, I have him, Suarez, and Yon Moncada separated by about five spots in my rankings total, I think. Mm, wow, yeah, so you really have dropped Arenado down quite a bit. Um, Chris's rankings are now on the site, cbsports.com. You can check those out. Yeah. Feel free to tear them apart because Yeah, make fun not? of me. Call me an idiot. <laughs> How dare you, Chris? How dare you have Rafael Devers ranked the highest from this group? So I, I did just want to ask you about that because um, I found it interesting. He doesn't have the track record as you know some of these other names here, uh, but you are you're buying back in. Why is that? I just it's the kind of thing where when a player who's that young and I think he's still is he twenty three now, um, twenty four. I think when a player is that young and shows batted ball skills that impressive and you know he actually upped his average exit velocity from his breakout 2019 to 93 miles per hour in 2020, upped his barrel rate. Um, I'm just not too worried. Like the biggest issue last season was the strikeout rate. I'm not too worried about that. I will say I was listening to, uh, I think it was the Rate in the Barrel podcast. And one thing they did bring up was his uh, average sprint speed has really declined over the course of the last three seasons. That's a bit of a concern just because that's when you start to get into, you know, does the third baseman, or I guess in his instance, the first baseman take a step back. Can you, do you beat out, you know, turn more doubles into singles, more singles into outs, that kind of thing. Um, But I just think the batted ball skills are so good that, you know, he's, he's bound to regress from where he was last season. I see, Uh, a big bounce back campaign coming from Rafael Devers. And it's worth mentioning, I brought this up with Devers in the past, but he has been a slow starter in back-to-back seasons. In 2019, he did not hit his first home run until May 3rd. He hit all 32 of his home runs in the final 124 games. And then in 2020, 
His first 22 games, he hit just two home runs and was batting 207. His final 35 games, he hit 297 with nine home runs. Uh, it's worth mentioning that Devers' breakout 2019 season also came with Alex Cora as his manager. Apparently, they have a really good relationship. Alex Cora will once again be the manager for the Boston Red Sox this season. Scott, you continue to mm-hmm. speak glowingly about your man, Alex Bregman. So I assume he's your favorite of this group. Tell us why. Yeah, so I tier Bregman with Machado, Rendon, uh, and and LeMahieu. And um, to ask why, look where we were drafting them a year ago. And in Bregman's case, look where we were drafting them two years ago. Like we had kind of he had kind of established himself as a first round regular, you know, a guy who perennially competes for the I said it right, perennially competes for the MVP award. And um, you know, in a 60 game season, things went awry. And so I think we're burying him too fast. He's still only, what, 26 years old, still in the prime of his career, still uh, has that amazing plate discipline where he's liable to finish with more walks than strikeouts. Like he's going to dominate four categories, probably. You know, I'm not holding out hope of him returning to running like I was at this time a year ago. Um, and really, this is this is probably my plan A at third base to grab either Bregman or Rendon in round three. You know, if one of them falls to round four, which you actually see from time to time, that's amazing. Yeah. But I think those are both first-round caliber bats that you could get um, a couple rounds later than that. Potentially first-round caliber bats that you could get a couple rounds later than that just because other bats who didn't underachieve last year um, or happened to provide something in the way of stolen bases push them out. And this group, Scott, is probably the sole reason why I'm okay taking starting pitchers in either rounds one or rounds two. But if I'm feeling real frisky, then I will take two starting pitchers in the first two rounds. And you are guaranteed one of these third basemen in the third round, maybe even the fourth round. And to be able to anchor your team with a bat that has been this good. I mean, all four of these names that we mentioned, Arenado, Devers, Bregman, and Rendon, have all been a top 12 overall hitter at some point. So mm-hmm. yeah. I, I just really... I think, I think the, the drafts I've done that I've liked the most how my team turned out was when I went pitcher in round one, pitcher in round two, Bregman, I guess, probably in round three, and Corey Seager in round four. Like if you... Because Seager himself seems like a first-round caliber bat. Now I'm in the hole in stolen bases starting out that way. Uh, but I don't think it's too big of a hole to climb out of. And obviously, I have a really nice head start at starting pitcher. And I don't feel like I lost anything at hitter, really, other than that stolen base output by taking pitchers with my first two picks. Yeah, and Rendon is actually my favorite of this group, but I don't think there's a wrong answer, honestly. Um, it's just so consistent. An OPS over 900, four straight seasons. Just keep in mind, he's he's likely due for at least one IL stint Per year, he's usually dealing with something, but uh, I think the Angels' lineup context will be better overall. Mm-hmm. Going to be driving in Mike Trout. I think he's a very, very safe player again. That is Anthony Rendon. I'm a little bit more optimistic on uh, on Nolan Arenado. I understand why some people might want to fade him now, but we have seen other players leave Coors Field, elite-level talents, Matt Holiday, DJ LeMahieu are ones that come to mind, and still be really, really good. So I lean closer to that camp for Arenado, but I understand why some people might want to drop him behind names like uh, Devers, Bregman, and Rendon. After the top six third baseman, there's a very clear drop in ADP and and potentially talent as well. Devers goes in the fourth round, and then we see Eugenio Suarez go in the seventh round at ADP 77, Yoan Moncada at ADP 87, and Max Muncy at ADP 95. Those two going in the eighth round. Round. I think this is kind of like the middle ground for third base, not quite elite bats. Maybe the I don't know. I just I feel weird about specifically these two players, Eugenio Suarez um, and Moncada. The the power upside for Suarez is massive. I mean, he has 50 home runs over his last 162 games. There is some batting average downside, and Moncada looked like he was poised to build off a massive, massive 2019 season, and then he just got smacked. With, uh, with the effects of COVID last year. Yeah. So, Chris, you've already spoke up uh, Suarez a few times throughout this podcast, and I know that you're still a Moncada guy. So, you know, if you miss out on those top six, it seems like you feel pretty good with with hitting this tier. 
Yeah, yeah. I, Moncada and I, I think especially Eugenio Suarez. Um, like Suarez might be one of the best bets in baseball for 40 homers. I, I don't know if that's like quite... I don't know if it's quite sunk in yet. Like even in a down season in 2020 when, I don't know, seemingly everything went wrong for the Reds. They had the lowest BABIP of all time, uh, I believe. Um, And he was right there with them. He had 202, but he was on a 37 or 38 homer pace. He hit 34 in 2018. And in between that, he had 49 in 2019. Most of the batted ball stuff for 2020 backs up 20 or backs up what he did in 2019. So I just think he probably won't hit 50 home runs again or come close, but he is a really, really good power hitter who's going to drive in a lot of runs. Um, and I don't think he's going to hurt you with the batting average. So I, I think Eugenio Suarez, uh, if I can get him in the sixth round or seventh round, I feel really good about that, um, especially if my team you know, needs a power bat. Scott Moncada, I just think it's so obvious that the, you know, he's talked about the effects of COVID and how he didn't feel right until the offseason. I think the quote was, it's a battle every day just to get through the day or something like that. I think that was a quote during the season. And he lost a lot of like the elite batted ball uh, skills that he had, you know, even before the break. He always hit the ball really hard. Last season, he didn't. He wasn't nearly as aggressive on the base paths. He wasn't nearly as aggressive as a hitter. And so it all just points to a guy who just physically wasn't right. And I'm willing to give him a mulligan on that. I know why people are skeptical, but I'm I'm fully willing to give him a full mulligan for it. The quote that I saw from Moncada in January, he said, the symptoms, the tiredness, the weakness I was feeling throughout the season lasted for a few more weeks after the season ended. Thank God I feel very good right now. I feel... I'm in very good condition. I f- I'm feeling strong. So hopefully we can get Moncada back to the player he was in 2019. Scott, anything you wanted to add on those two before we move on to this massive tier that's coming up next? Well, I know Ariel Cohen, we had him on, and he was really high on Suarez like Chris is. Uh, and I guess I get it. it. He's been trending the wrong way in a couple of areas that will impact the batting average. He sold out harder than ever for power last year. Line drive rate was the worst it's ever been. Strikeout rate was the highest it's ever been. Um, and if that continues, he might be a liability for batting average. But, you know, there there's worse things to be than the P- Pete Alonso of third baseman, too, which is maybe what Suarez is becoming. Uh, in Moncada's case... I, I, I think it's fine to give him a pass for the COVID. I, I think it's a volatile profile to begin with. I think he's kind of the Javier Baez of third baseman in that it, it really counts on him having that impacting the ball especially hard um, and uh, being kind of an outlier performer in a couple of areas just for him to get up to that high-end production that we saw from him in 2019. And I wish the discount was greater considering he's still going 87th yeah. off the board. On average, um, so I don't think I, I don't think I'm going to have much of either of these players. I think probably if I miss out on Bregman and Rendon in round three in the round three four range, I'm probably you, you know I have Suarez and and Moncada part of a much bigger tier that includes guys like Matt Chapman and Max Muncy and even like Gio Urshela, who I feel like everybody's down on again for no good reason. Uh, so more likely, I'm going to end up with one of them as my third baseman. Well, let's hit that tier I mentioned. It is massive. I am lumping in a huge group of players together, starting with Alec Bohm at ADP 108 at the 8-9 turn, and it ends with Josh Donaldson at pick 189 in round 16. Some other names in this range, Matt Chapman at 110, Chris Bryant, 113, Cabrian Hayes, 145, Gio Urshela, 159, uh, and the aforementioned Josh Donaldson at 189. The reason why I lumped these together is because I really don't think that there is a massive difference between the first name in the group, Bohm, and the last name in the group, Josh Donaldson, especially in a points league. Um, Chris, your thought, your thoughts on 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 that assessment of this tier? Yeah, I just looked at my rankings and I was looking at the overall rankings and I saw that I had Alec Bohm, like Bomb, uh, 106th overall. And I just started thinking, like, why? Yeah. Like, I like him. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a solid profile. It's just, 
you know, I did some prospect profiles last year during the the the, dis, the postponed season or delayed season, and I started looking at him and like it could turn out really good, or his profile looks a lot like Michael Franco's. Uh, you know, a guy who made a lot of contact in the minors, didn't really have as much power as you thought. He hit the ball hard enough, but he's not. He's not an elite batted ball guy, an elite batted ball guy, and he's not a, you know, he had a 53.2% ground ball rate, which was one of the highest in baseball. I, I but, don't even think you need to. Did I cut off your point? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, but I, yeah, it's fine. I, I don't even think you need to dig into the advanced stats to wonder what's going on, to scratch your head over Alec Bohm's placement here. I, I, he's leading off this tier for you, Frank. I don't even have him in this tier. I have him in the next tier down. Because he hit four home runs in 160 at bats, so what are what exactly are people people elevating him for? I mean, clearly that's not enough power from a corner infielder. And I'm not saying that's him maxing out his power. Maybe he grows from there and gets better. But why are we presuming that from him? He did hit 338, but it was with a 410 BABIP. I mean, I I just don't understand why we're why we're elevating him to a level that. He clearly hasn't achieved yet. And yeah. especially when you compare him to Cabrian Hayes, who uh, got about half as many bats as Bohm did last year, but was certainly more productive with them, was arguably the better prospect to begin with, and is going about 50 picks later. Like I, Bohm's placement here ahead of all those provens and being that far ahead of a guy who had a similar, actually better first showing in the majors last year in Hayes, I don't get it at all. He was Bohm was one of the players I had in my overrated players column, judging by ADP. I think if you squint hard enough, you can see a season where Bohm hits 280 with 25 plus home runs and decent counting stats. If he's sitting in the middle oh, of the oh, Philly yeah, lineup, but, but I'm not I'm not doing a long term projection or upside assessment here with Bohm. I'm just I'm just assessing most likely scenario and what we've already seen from him, and neither of that. Look, I'm not saying Bohm's a bad hitter. I'm not saying he doesn't have upside. I'm not saying I wouldn't want him in a dynasty league, but why in a redraft league are we taking him ahead of Matt Chapman? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, the price tag. I mean, it, it is just big. Again, for uh, Alec Bohm, he's going at ADP 108. Um, I would expect the ground ball rate to probably come down for him because it was much lower at his three stops in the minors in 2019, and I, I think that would probably help things, of course, hitting in Citizens Bank Park. Uh, let's hit on each of the other players in this tier rather quickly. Let's do like 30 seconds or less, and I'll I'll rotate off you guys. Let's start with Scott, and you, you mentioned the name Matt Chapman. So uh, give me your thoughts on Chapman, who is coming back from torn labrum surgery that he had in September. That has me a little bit cautious uh, with him in this range. I believe it's the, the hip the labrum and the hip, right? Yep. Yep. Close to the shoulder. Correct. So I, I can understand that getting a pause. I, I think it's enough time that he's going to be recovered and, and be fine. And I feel like you're getting him kind of discounted because of it. So, you know, I, I, I think there are enough options at third base that I wouldn't want Chapman as my one guy. Maybe I follow up and take Gio Urshela or Brian Hayes uh, as a corner infielder or utility player, even just a bench player if you're talking like a shallow head-to-head league. Uh, in case in case Chapman isn't totally back up to strength, um, still rather have him than Bohm, <laughs> given the track record. Uh, Chris, your love for Chris Bryant, who you have ranked as your 10th best third baseman. Explain. I mean, he was a top 50 player in 2019. He hit 282 with an OPS of like over 900, looks like. 31 homers, 108 runs, 77 RBI. And all of a sudden, he has, what, 50, 34 bad games in 2020. And he's just done. His ADP is like 125 or something like that. 132 at NFBC. I just, I think that's such an overreaction. Last year was such an outlier for him. His BABIP was 67 points lower than it ever has been. His barrel rate was nearly three percentage points lower than his uh, career rate. And I know what the argument against him is. Well, he has horrible batted ball data. 86.1% or mile per hour average exit velocity, 31.9% hard hit rate, everything below average. When has that not been the case for Chris Bryant? His batted ball data wasn't good in 2019. 
His batted ball data has never been good. He's never averaged 90 miles per hour in, in exit velocity. Uh, he hasn't had a hard rate, hard hit rate over 40% since 2015. This is not a guy, for whatever reason, the advanced, stance, advanced stats are missing something about Chris Bryant. And I don't take much stock in him having a bad 34 games. I still think he's going to get on base a ton, score a ton of runs. That lineup's still pretty good. Um, and I think that whole lineup's going to be better in 2021. So I, I think, I mean, even having him ranked 80th or whatever I do, that's still a, a big discount from where he's been. Mercy! 30 seconds or less, Chris. We're trying yeah, to get to sleepers, I, breakouts, I and buzz. I had to preempt the points that you were going to make in response. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I was going to mention the batted ball data has been terrible. He's also dealt with a lot of injuries, but uh, he is entering a contract year. So if you want to take my analysis of Carlos Correa and use it against me, you certainly can. But uh, that could be the case for one Chris Bryant. He could be traded to a better team as well. Have, there's been some talks with the Mets. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. I'm, I just think, you know, for you're going to take an injury pr- prone third baseman. Why don't you just take Josh Donaldson? 75 picks later that would be i'm actually more with you frank um and maybe it's confirmation bias i i saw him as trending the wrong direction and so when the bottom fell out i'm I'm more inclined to believe it he he hasn't had great exit velocity from year to year but it was certainly much better when he was winning rookie of the year and 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 uh mvp than it's been the past few years i actually look at his batted ball data and see that 20 i look at his batted ball data from the past three years and see that 2019 season as more the outlier than what we saw in 2018 and three years is kind of a 2020 three years is kind of a convenient cutoff point though because 2017 happened that's when he was hurt in 2018 he was dealing with that shoulder injury all of 2018 he came back in 2019 and looked like the same guy he had been that's that's where I well, take. except he wasn't hitting the ball as hard. No, he was hitting the ball in 2019. His average exit velocity was higher than it was in in 2017, but not in 2015 and 2016 when he first. Right, right. But I'm saying like we were still valuing him. Like in 2017, he had an OPS of 946. I don't in know. In 2019, about exit he had velocity an... in 2017. <laughs> right, right. But I'm saying, but but Maybe now I we wanted have and, and I wouldn't have gotten screwed in 2018. Right, right. right. But I'm saying is he had a, an, an OPS over 900 in 2017 and 2019, scored 108 and 111 runs, uh, hit 29 and 31 homers in those two seasons with good batting averages, mm-hmm. with an 87 mile per hour average exit velocity in 87.6. For whatever reason, this is a guy that just he has outperformed that stuff his entire career. But now he's having to outperform it harder. He is the hitter version of Marco Estrada, who <laughs> for years would outperform his underlying <laughs> analytics. Uh, I don't know. That, that doesn't sound like a good thing. A, a ringing endorsement for one Chris Bryant. Yeah. But uh, let's move yeah. on. Uh, just the last two names in this tier, Cabrian Hayes and Gio Urshela. Scott, seeing as how these are two players that I usually associate with you, I will let you uh, break them down. Yeah, it sure seemed like Gio Urshela completely validated his 2019 breakout last year, right? I mean, I I don't know how anybody could think of him as anything less than one of the most reliable sources of batting average at this point. He hits a lot of line drives, hits all fields, low strikeout rate. The XBA the past two years has been amazing. It's been, uh, it was I think it was right on par with DJ LeMahieu last year. Um, the home run pace was not great last year, but in terms of like ISO, in terms of just overall power, not necessarily what's manifesting as home runs, it was it was in line with with what he did. I think it was actually even a little better than 2019. So you know he he's clearly not the slap hitter we saw his at the start of his career with Cleveland and uh, Toronto. And uh, if he's going to hit his way on base that often in a Deep lineup full of high OBP guys. It's going to be good for his RBI production. 290 hitting, 20 to 25 homers, you know, 95 plus RBI for a guy going around 150th. Uh, and, and, and and at this point, feeling much safer than a lot of the guys who go ahead of him. Like, a, you, I, I feel like I can bank on Urshela more than I can a Bryant or a Chapman or even like a Moncada. Um, yeah, I'm all over that. I feel like his value hasn't risen enough, even though he answered the question there. Uh, and then Cabrian Hayes, I mean, it was the player I love for 2021, 20, right? Uh, I just think 
I just think the anytime you get a guy with as good a contact skills as he has, and that's something he showed throughout the minors, great contact skills with the kind of athleticism that allows him to play third base defensively like he does. And I, I think anytime you get those two things together, particularly in an environment where it's so easy to hit home runs, the chances of an explosion are high. Uh, and I think we probably saw that. I'm hopeful we saw that from Hayes when he got called up last year and showed more over-the-fence power, looked like a more dynamic hitter than he ever did in the minors. And you've seen a lot of, since he still qualifies as a prospect, you've seen a lot of the prospect evaluations upgrade his uh, his hit tool and his power tool accordingly. MLB.com especially um, makes him look like an elite hitter now with those scores. And uh, I'm there with them, and I, I feel like most people obviously aren't based on his ADP. There's not a lot of downside to taking him. If you're wrong, whatever, you know. He's probably your second, third baseman. I wouldn't mind if he's my third, first baseman. Thir- thir- if he's my first, third baseman, though, if I just got shut out of the position early on. Scott doesn't mind if Cabrian Hayes is his third, third baseman on his fantasy team here in 2021. Just want to quickly remind everyone that we have an extra mailbag podcast that we're going to be doing this week and next week. So that will pop up in the feed Saturday morning. So if you have a fantasy baseball question and you enjoy the podcast, please drop a five-star Apple podcast rating and leave your question in the review. We'll also grab some emails. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Put mailbag in the subject line. And wanted to let everyone know about our Facebook Q&A schedule that we have going on right now. Scott answers questions in our Facebook group on Mondays at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I answer questions Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And Chris, hopefully, starting next week, will be answering questions at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday night. So three different times that you can get your questions answered. It could be fantasy-related. It could be anything. For example, yesterday, Frederigo asked, Final Fantasy or Zelda? It's a pretty tough question. Two great video game franchises. Scott, which one you got, man? Final Fantasy or Zelda? I've played a lot more Final Fantasy than I have Zelda. Mm. I haven't played any of the recent installments of either series. I think the most recent <laughs> I played of either was Final Fantasy X, which came out when I was in high school. Mm. Uh, but I love my time playing Final Fantasy, the installments that I did play. So, uh, you know... I, I like I like a traditional RPG more than an action RPG, so I'll say Final Fantasy. Very nice. Yeah, I, I played a lot of games for both franchises, and I'm so infamous for this. Like, I start so many video games and I never beat them. The only two that I actually beat were Final Fantasy X and, and Zelda: Ocarina of Time. So, uh, based on those two games, I, I would lean with Zelda. Um, Breath of the Wild is my favorite game ever. It's the only Zelda game I've ever played, and I've never played a Final Fantasy game, so it's an easy call for me. <laughs> I am uh, trying to track down a way to play Ocarina of Time. My uh, my sister lent me Breath of the Wild, and I, I haven't even touched it. Like I have so many video games that I still just haven't played. It's it's absolutely the, insane. Uh, if you're watching amazing. on the video side, don't go anywhere. If you're listening on the podcast, uh, we are going to take a quick break. But when we return, we have sleepers, breakouts, and busts at third base here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? (laughs) Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus. Could I just? Oh, sorry. Could I just go grab some water? I'm sorry for the video audience, but I'll be right back. I have a bottle, and I'm 
Sometimes Chris doesn't wear pants when he podcasts, so that would have been great if he actually wasn't wearing pants when he got up and everyone saw that. Uh, Scott, in the meantime, why don't you get us started with a sleeper at third base? All right. We're going to get started here with a sleeper. My sleeper at third base is going to be Austin Riley of the Atlanta Braves. When he came up in 2020, nine home runs in his first 18 games. It was one of those, it was one of those debuts that oh. set the world on fire, but then he collapsed after that, had a horrible strikeout rate that looked like it might come to define his career. Well, he didn't exactly set the world on fire last year. It's it's not like he um he really put himself back in the mixed league discussion. But he did improve that area that killed him in 2019. That strikeout rate went from 30, a, a Joey Gallo-like 36.4% in 2019 to a Tim Anderson-like 23.8% in 2020. I mean, a big improvement and a, a necessary improvement if Riley was going to become all that the, uh, all that the prospect evaluations made him out to be. You know, he hit eight home runs and 206 plate appearance, 206 plate appearances. So he's obviously going to need to up his power production to to make the most out of those gains in the strikeout department. But he came up with a 70 grade power bat, and I don't think he's lost the ability to hit for power. the the exit The average exit velocity, the hard hit rate, they were both great last year. Um, it's just a matter of pulling it all together for Austin Riley. And since he's now cleared that biggest hurdle with the strikeout rate, I, I think there's a very good chance it happens this year. Uh, I mean, the kind of pro, the kind of power grades he got as a prospect were equivalent to like a Pete Alonzo, 70 grade power bat from Baseball America, I believe, his last year before getting called up. So there's still a lot to look forward to uh, from Austin Riley. Great call, Scott. I absolutely love it. His sleeper and. Um... I'll jump forward a little bit, but Austin Riley is my breakout. The surface numbers might not be exciting from last year. 239 batting average, 716 OPS, but you touched on it, Scott. His ability to uh, cut down the strikeouts last year, he actually improved his walk rate two percentage points as well. He hit the ball harder last year, a 91-mile-per-hour average exit velocity than he did in 2019 when he hit all those home runs. So I think if he couples that strikeout rate that we saw from last year with his power upside, I think there's a chance we could see 270 plus batting average, 30 plus home run upside from Austin Riley. Yeah. As and, and I don't as think that's season. a ceiling projection either. Yeah. I think the ceiling goes even higher than that. Chris, we're all happy that you were wearing pants because sometimes uh, you were not while you're, while you're podcasting here, but uh, I, I knew I was going to, I wouldn't have made the run uh, if I, if I knew I, I was going to be showing that to the audience. You never know. You never know. Give me a sleeper at third base after you uh, get done swigging your water there. <laughs> um, I fully agree with Austin Riley. If it's not him, it's Chris Bryant, who I've already talked about. So uh, like both of those guys, think they're uh, two very good options to outperform their draft day cost. Short and sweet. I like it. A sleeper for me, Eduardo Escobar. The ADP last year was 119. He has more than doubled that ADP, which sees him going right now at pick 245. Again, that is Eduardo Escobar. He was the 31st best player in Roto uh, in 2019. He averaged 3.4 fantasy points per game. That is a near elite mark. I'm not expecting him to get back to that type of production, but 260 bad, 20 to 25 home runs. He's going to hit in the middle of the Diamondbacks lineup. Usually hits a lot of doubles, which helps in a, a head-to-head points league. If he is your fallback option as a corner infielder in Roto or uh, as a utility bat in a deeper points league, I have absolutely no issue with that when it comes to Eduardo Escobar. Scott, a breakout for third base. Got to be Cabrian Hayes. I gave my whole spiel already, so I won't do it again. But I think when you add up the likelihood of him hitting for average with that high contact rate, the potential of him stealing 10 to 15 bags because the guy can run on top of everything else. Like you're not even at, you're not even necessarily asking for him to hit 25 to 30 home runs. Um, like he looked like he might be able to do during that brief call up last year. If he does do it though, it's likely we're talking about Hayes is like a third or fourth round pick next year. Now, I realize these are very lofty expectations, but I've made this comp before, so I will just bring it up again. Anthony Rendon, in his second season with the Nationals, he played 153 games. He hit 287 with 21 home runs, 111 runs, and 17 steals. 
I think that could be an upside play with what we're looking at with Cabrian Hayes. Maybe the counting stats are not as good because the Pirates lineup is pretty bad, but I think that that is a potential ceiling that we're looking at for a, for a second season here with Cabrian Hayes. Technically his first full season. Chris, a breakout at third base. Yeah, Yoel Mankata is my official pick, but I've already talked about him, so I just want to throw out uh, Matt Chapman, who is following the Josh Donaldson path elite defensive player, elite overall player, but the offensive numbers have kind of lagged. Uh, I think he is someone who, if he does get traded, and there have been a a, a number of trade rumors recently, uh, if he gets traded before the season or even mid-season, I think the Josh Donaldson in in Toronto-esque breakout could happen for him. Mm -hmm. I think he is just a an absolute superstar waiting for a better offensive environment. Chris, me and you, man, we are two years in a row. We've butt heads quite a bit. And, you know, why would that change? Obviously, but I, I have Matt Chapman as my bust. And I'm just kind of worried about this hip surgery that he had. Uh, sure. I want to see him sure. perform in the spring. And if he does, you know, that will that will put most of my concerns to bed. But, and I understand he's older. I made this comp with Chris Bryant, but why don't you just wait? you know, 60 to 70 picks and take Josh Donaldson. Unless you just, you're like, okay, Donaldson is old. His calves are shot. Like there's nothing left in the tank. Yeah. If that, if that's how you feel, then I, I'm perfectly fine with it. But that's, I mean, I think Donaldson's actually a really good value. I agree. I, I um, like Donaldson a little uh, as a you know, mid round option. He's just, there's probably like a hard ceiling of like 130 games played for him. Donald, the problem with Donaldson is I like I don't think the price tag is bad. Obviously, he's being discounted for his age and his injury history, and that's appropriate. There's no way I, I'm coming out of draft with Donaldson as my only third base option. No way. Yeah. Three of the past four years lost significant time to injuries. I mean, two of the past three basically lost the whole season to injuries, and obviously not getting any healthier in his late 30s. So yeah, there's there's a lot of down there. there there's coin flips chance. Donaldson is basically worthless this year is what I feel like with him. That's not crazy. Yeah, I mean, he does have some bottom-out potential. The ADP at 191, I mean, I've done some 15-team roto drafts where I wind up with him as my corner infielder, and it's like, at yeah, that point, that's it, good. it feels like there's nothing but profit. So I'm yeah. I'm cool with that. So Matt Chapman is my bust. I just I spoke about it. I'm kind of worried about the hip. I just I want to see how he looks in the spring first based on this ADP. Scott, give me a bust at third base. It's hard to find a bust at third base because so many of them underachieved last year. Um, Donaldson is the guy with the bottom out potential. I share some of Chris's concerns with uh, Nolan Arenado. Not that I feel like he's going to bottom out necessarily, but I I actually rank it behind Rafael Devers because um, between the shoulder stuff last year and now going to a much worse hitting environment... I'd just rather not take the chance. But I don't know. Bust, I I guess it's possible Justin Turner, who I think is 37, 38 now, like really old, and they have, uh, the Dodgers have, uh, sorry, I'm blanking on the name, Edwin, Edwin, Edwin Rios. 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 Yeah. yeah, young power hitter who could play third base and already started to cut into Turner's at-bats last year. I, I think really the bust potential for Turner is just that he loses even more playing time, that it's maybe a 50-50 share for him at third base. They're paying him a lot of money to play that little. So, you know, I, I could certainly hear the argument that Turner's actually a value pick at his going rate. I have a hard time getting enthusiastic about drafting Turner here this year, the way things have trended for him playing time-wise. Chris, a bust at third base. Yeah, it, it's Nolan Arenado for me. I think he's. I think there's a very high floor, but I think it's possible he hits something like 265 with 30 homers. Uh you know, 90 run, 90 RBI, which would be a very good season, but that feels more replaceable than what his uh, ADP is. You said it was 39 since February 1st? Yep. Yeah, it's 33, 34 since the trade, so I would assume it's going to continue moving down and settle right around 40, 45 maybe. Um, I just think Eugenio Suarez is basically the same guy, if not a little bit better outside of course Field. Scott, who are a few prospects that we should be looking at at the third base position? I mentioned Nolan Jones a little bit earlier, someone that uh, maybe he gets some time in the outfield for Cleveland. That could definitely help the uh, the surroundings there. Uh, Spencer, Spencer Torkelson was the number one pick in last year's MLB draft, but we probably don't see him this year. 
uh, Josh Jung is a name with the Texas Rangers uh, that maybe mm-hmm. we see. So any any prospects you're paying mm-hmm. attention to? I mean, you pretty much covered the big ones. Brian Hayes still qualifies as a prospect, so it's worth mentioning him. Um, but Nolan Jones potentially getting a chance to play in the Cleveland outfield, and I think it'll happen sooner than later. Good OBP guy. You know, too many more, more strikeouts than I'd like to see, especially given hit, that he has a pretty good hit tool. But uh, definitely an interesting prospect who could matter this year. I don't know if Torkelson's getting called up this year, but there's a chance it seems like a really high floor, high ceiling profile for a prospect. Isak Paredes is in line to start for the Tigers again. Did not look good in his first stint in the majors, and I wonder if he really has the power to man a corner and field spot. But, you know, borderline top 100 prospect there, Isak Paredes. And um, uh, what was one of the other ones that you named, Frank? I wanted to mention something about him. Uh, Josh Jones. Josh Jung? Yeah, Josh Jung. Josh Jung is somebody I'm really excited about, actually. He has... He has that sort of profile where the hit tool is great, the plate discipline is great. It's just he needs to develop the power, and that's the easiest thing to cultivate in the game today. So I love targeting prospects like that, especially since the Rangers saw it too, drafting him in the first round of 2019. And the reports out of the alternate training site said he did. He figured out how to unlock his power swing, how to pull the ball for power. And um, some prospect evaluators have him soaring up the rankings because of it. Uh, since I was inclined to like him anyway, I'm, I'm there with them. And Josh Jung, I think, is a good dynasty, a good buy-low dynasty target right now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, Scott, I have him in your dynasty league. I don't know that I would call him a buy-low. I mean, he's probably just a buy-medium, right? I mean, come on. He didn't do anything wrong. Uh, <laughs> send some trade offers if you guys are interested, Scott and, and, and Chris, because why not? I, I'm down to make some trades. Uh, if Joe you, Musker for Josh Jung. Let's go. Um, oh, man. I might actually do that if you send it my way. <laughs> you so. sure about that, I can't send a trade. <laughs> not Our yet. dictator won't let us. Not yet. Yeah, trading's not open yet. Uh, I should probably submit my keepers because I'm one of the few people that actually haven't done it yet. So <laughs> I'll be doing yeah, that after this podcast. I don't podcast. know if I've done that either. Probably not. Chris is usually one of the last to do it. What's the deadline? Well, three days away, I think. Ah, I got 72 hours. You'll be yeah. all right. Uh, if you're wondering how much to pay for these third basemen in a salary cap draft, here are Scott's values for the different tiers. This is for a 12-team salary cap draft standard $260 budget. Jose Ramirez up at the top, $36. Manny Machado, $30. Alex Bregman and Anthony Rendon at $29. Rafael Devers and Nolan Arenado at $24. Eugenio Suarez at $14. Yuan Moncada at $12. Gio Urshela, Chris Bryant, Josh Donaldson, Brian Hayes, and Alec Bohm are all between 8 and $9. And then you have your Buck Bash. $1 players, Eduardo Escobar and Gene Segura going for the $1. Let's wrap up with some more ADP review, some of these late round values. We left off with Josh Donaldson who's going at pick 189. Uh, how about Gene Segura? He's going to pick 195. He also has... Second base eligibility, completely over the head. Missed him on our second base preview. Apologies, so we'll talk about him now. And Justin Turner, who is going at ADP 208. Both of these players are a little bit older, and they're boring, but it seems like they still might be able to contribute something. What do you think, Scott? I mean, I like Turner more of the two, and I said I didn't like Turner that much. Segura Segura doesn't really run anymore, Uh, at least it... He did have 10 stolen bases two years ago, but only two last year. And just the way he's trending, I don't I don't expect to beat him to contribute much in that category. So that's what I'd say about Segura relative to Turner. Gene Segura had his highest average sprint speed since 2016 last season. I, I'm kind of... 62nd in the majors with a, a 28.3 feet per second sprint speed. I don't wow. know what that means. I don't know if it means anything. Uh, that just, that was kind of shocking to see. I'm kind of interested. Yeah, that is it was it was his first year with Joe Girardi as the manager. The Yankees ran a little bit more when Girardi was with them, and uh, Segura kind of had this change in his plate discipline last year. Ten percent walk rate that was by far career high. I mean, someone who typically doesn't walk that very much. His previous career high was six percent. So I don't know. I'm kind of like, you know, if I wind up with Segura as my middle infielder or corner infielder in a roto league, it's not. Sexy, it's not exciting, but I don't think it's terrible either. I'm kind of interested. Yeah, you uh, could go 15, 15, and, and hit 280. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think he, that's crazy. He could. He could. There are three third basemen going between ADP two twenty five and two thirty five. JD Davis at two twenty five. Austin Riley at two twenty seven. Brian Anderson at two thirty three. Scott, you were all over JD Davis last year, and then he let us down. Come on. JD, that's why I keep calling him JD Smith this year. I've done that at least twice <laughs> you're on podcast. You're just combining him and Dom Smith into one player. Yeah, uh, apparently so. And and you know, there's a playing time question for each of them. That's that's the main drawback for JD Davis to me is with Dominic Smith emerging in left field last year. It seems like Smith uh, Davis's only position is third base. He's not very good at third base. Not very good in left field either. And. Uh, Will the Mets be willing to stick with him there every day? Knowing that? I don't know. There's fewer alternatives this year than there was last year when Todd Frazier was still around. So maybe, um, you know, there's the question about will Davis hit like he did in 2019 because he didn't do that last year either. But the biggest issue for him in 2020 was putting the ball on the ground way too much, which he's never been a guy who's elevated well, but he did. He elevated a lot better in 2019. And since he's shown the ability to do it before, I'm not ruling out him doing it again. Still makes high-quality contact. I think could bounce back with big numbers this year. Uh, I, I would go as far as to call J.D. Davis a sleeper again. I'm not as interested in as, as I was in him a year ago, but with a late pick, if I need a corner infield stir or something like that, and J.D. Davis is going to be an interesting... Uh, Somebody had to be looking at, for sure. I'm a little worried about J.D. Davis. This reminds me of how NFL teams will be talking up a running back, but then they'll go out and sign a running back and draft another running back. So it's like, clearly you're not excited about this running back. <laughs> and the Mets were trying to sign Justin Turner. They have been in trade talks with Chris Bryant. I, I just don't think that they're very excited about J.D. Davis, but we'll see what happens uh, there. Brian Anderson seems like he's kind of disrespected. Another one where he's just boring, but an 8-11 OPS since the start of 2019. Probably going to hit you 25 plus home runs. Just a very, very solid player. Uh, just outside the top 250 ADP, we see Eduardo Escobar, Ryan McMahon, who has eligibility all over the place. I believe also first and second base mm-hmm. to go along yep. with third base. Uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who we talked a decent about on the shortstop preview. And then Joey Wendell. So Chris... Escobar, McMahon, Kiner Falefa, and Wendell. Anything to see? I mean, I guess McMahon's probably going to hit in a good spot in the lineup, and he still calls Coors Field home for half his games. I I think he's a pretty bad hitter, but it wouldn't shock me to see him hit 250 with 30 homers and 95 RBI if he gets the right opportunity. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if he wasn't playing every day at some point, but, you know... That's the kind of late round bat who could provide decent upside. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's 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 hard to get excited about it, but as long as he's with the Rockies, there's the potential for it. I feel like you could say that about at least three different Rockies players, probably more than that, where they could play every day and be awesome, or they could be on the bench and not be playing at all. So that just comes with the territory of the Colorado Rockies. Going outside the top 380p, we see Carter Keboom, Kyle Seeger, and Jamer Candelario. Scott, um, these are actually not terrible names here. Uh, what do you think? Are you intrigued by any of these three? Uh, well, Kyle Seeger was actually he was really good. good last year. Yes. Yeah. I don't think like 3.26 head to head points per game is what Kyle Seeger averaged last year. That was more than Kevin Biggio. That was uh, more than Gio Urshela. Um, it's more than obviously underachievers like Devers and Arenado and Bregman because they were terrible. I mean, Seeger was actually basically a must start third baseman last year. Now, it was kind of the outlier for him in recent seasons the previous two he wasn't pretty fringy for mixed leagues but wasn't useless wasn't useless and for a player being drafted in the 350 range like he is you'd expect him to be pretty close to useless I think Seager is a good deep league choice actually Uh, probably not going to help much in batting average but it's going to be solid in everything else well batting average runs an RBI and and I'll add (laughs) runs runs an RBI I'll add uh, Carter Keboom. I know that this is two years in a row where he's disappointed, but it's worth remembering he's only got 44 major league games under his belt. 
Uh, he's still only 23 years old. He was a recent top 50 prospect. Uh, my expectations aren't high. He hasn't really shown, uh, I would say, a single major league average skill so far in those 44 games, but guys have had worse 44 games and turned into pretty good players. So uh, I would still keep an eye on him. I was very high on Carter Keboom when he first got Same. called up, and it just mm-hmm. has not happened. It's still a super small sample size. Even last year, 33 games, he yeah. had a near 14% walk rate and a 30% line drive rate. So if you want to hang your hat on something when it comes to Carter Keboom, uh, it seems like he will get the opportunity at least to start the season. Uh, a name to pay attention to throughout the spring there, Carter Keboom with the Washington Nationals. Going real late in drafts, we mentioned the name Edwin Rios has some big power potential for the Dodgers, especially if something were to happen to Justin Turner. Uh, Evan Longoria with the San Francisco Giants and Azdrubal Cabrera, who signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks will play second base for the team, but also has first base and third base eligibility. Chris, Edwin Rios, Evan Longoria, Asdrubal Cabrera. Those are three names. I think Asdrubal Cabrera is probably the most interesting of the three if you need a late-round contributor, just because Edwin Rios probably won't have the playing time to start. But he drove in 91 runs in 2019, and he wasn't bad in 2020 either. So if he's playing uh, semi-regularly, I think he... You know, he's not going to be great, but he can be serviceable if you need a late round corner infielder, especially in like a 15 team league. Scott, take us home. Any names we missed at third base? Uh, Did we talk about Brian Anderson, really? I mentioned him briefly in the discussion with uh, J.D. Davis. He's just rock solid. 811 OPS since the the start of 2019. He's a good player. He's not a great player. He's He's, good. he's, He's a boring player, but like boring... In a, in a good way, where like nobody's gonna reach for him, but you can count on him being, um, you know, just a decent corner infield option for you if if things. I don't know that I'd want him to be my first choice there. Maybe if it was like a fifteen team, certainly if it was like an NL only league, twelve team or fewer, you know, probably not aiming for a Brian Anderson type to be your corner infielder. But if you have to fall back on him, he's gonna be fine. He's gonna be fine. It's kind of what I was saying for Kyle Seager, except. You know, even on the higher end of that. He is Kyle Seeger nine years ago. I mean, yeah. you look at who Kyle Seeger was at like in like 2012. I th- the difference is there was a stretch, I think, of like three or four years in a row where Kyle Seeger finished sixth at third base, I think, every year in a row. And uh, now we talk about a player who has very similar skills and Brian Anderson as the 20th best third baseman in a good scenario. So... No, I think he's fine. His 162 pace over the last two years is 28 homers, 92 RBI. I think that's kind of surprising, but Mm -hmm. uh, I think he could be a 25 homer, 90 RBI guy. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement there on one. Brian Anderson, that's a wrap. We're going to do it for Chris and Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back back again tomorrow with our relief pitcher preview. That should be a lot of fun. See you then. Bye-bye. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.